Hello, this is Faith in Action, a new podcast to discuss how faith affects the way we live and work today. Faith is often thought to epitomise divisions within society, but a recent report challenges that idea with research which suggests that the church is actually the best place for social mixing between people of different ages, class, ethnicity, income and politics. I'm delighted to welcome John Yates, who's the co-founder of The Challenge. The Challenge is the UK's leading charity for building a more integrated society. We've come to talk about the part that faith might play in bringing people together. So John, what does an integrated society mean? What does it look like? I think when we set up the charity, I mean the charity is about six or seven years old now, and it's probably worth me saying that the people who set up the charity aren't all Christians, so for me it's a, my faith plays a big part in wanting to be involved but it's not everybody's motivation the thing that drove it for us was people should understand each other and I think for me having grown up in a faith community I think you have an understanding that you can have differences of opinion on faith so my mum for example and I would I think happily admit that we have different views of, of, of how our faith works out and it's very easy within even the Christian faith to start think that, oh, that group are all horrendous and that group are all absolutely awful and that group. And so I think partly through, because of faith, I became aware of the value of actually understanding each other because and having parents who had a different sense of their faith than mine made me think, actually, it's perfectly valid to disagree with someone without thinking they're evil. So I think, uh, for me, an integrated society is one where we start with a, a, a sense of, realising that people who are different aren't necessarily worse than us or a threat to us. The opposite is a society where we sort of think there are some people here who are kind of like me and trustworthy and decent and get where I'm coming from and sort of common sense people and there's the rest are basically either nutters or crazies or boring or whatever and I think that integration is about enough banging into each other and time together to realise that people may be different, but they're not necessarily worse. Mm. And, and how much is this an issue in modern Britain today? Well, I think we all, if we're honest, can look at our own friends and the people we spend most of our time with and probably notice that they're quite similar to us. And by that I mean that we tend to spend most of our time talking to people who have the same level of education mm. as us and the same level of income as us, and probably the same age as us. Some of that, education, for example, is a little is pretty natural. I did a philosophy degree for my sins. If I were to crack a joke about Socrates, most people quite rightly think this is not a funny joke, and it's horrendously boring, and I don't even understand what you're talking about. So it's quite nice that I might have one or two friends who actually have a vague idea of why the joke is not funny, and actually understand it properly. So I think there is something about having friends who have similar points of reference, whether you're, you're all West Ham fans, or whatever it might be. But some of it is actually pretty worrying, and I think what we know from the work that we've done through the charity is that if you randomly pick two people in the UK and they're from the same income group or same ethnic group, they're all around sort of ten times more likely to be friends already mm. than if you put two people who are different. Now that, that 
is kind of worrying. And you just do have to ask yourself when we're looking at networks to get people into work, where we're looking at the role of isolation having an impact on people becoming extremists, when we're looking at the fact that people can, elderly can become very isolated, actually these networks matter to most of the things we really care about. And so we have a pitch of a society that actually is full of people, surrounded by people like them, and then a load of problems mm. that we care about that seem in some way to be connected together. Fascinating to hear. And people often talk about faith as divisive, but your research came to very different conclusions. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the the research, we looked at 5,000 different social interactions, so groups, parties, gatherings, events across the country. Completely different ones, so people going to a football match, some people having friends around for dinner, some people going out for dinner, some people going to a picnic, whatever, whatever it might be. And a number of the events are people going to a place of worship. And obviously a lot of those would have been church. What was really interesting is the interactions, the groups, the events that were the most mixed by ethnicity, by income, were those that took place at a place of worship. Mm. And I think that surprises most people because at the end of the day, a religious gathering is a group of people who have something in common. You know, by its very essence, it's likely to be people who at a church are Christians, at a mosque are Muslims, etc. But what is so phenomenally important about gatherings of faith and actually any grouping where people have something in common is that it overcomes some of the other differences Mm. because you actually say okay you may be from a completely different part of this town than me with completely different background but we're both here as christians or we're both here as muslims or we're both here as i mean sport we picked up a similar thing about sport that sporting events tend to pull people together in this way Less, much less so, but you picked it up a bit. And again, it was that sense of actually, by finding a unifying thing, I'm a West Ham fan, so are you, and so are you. Okay, yes, it means we're, we don't like Tottenham fans, but actually, we, we're cutting across some of the other divisions. And so faith, we came to the conclusion that actually faith plays a pretty important part mm. in bringing the country together. Is this about individual people with faith, individual Christians, or or is this about... The, the Sunday services. I think what we were picking up was that people coming together for the service, and it predominantly would be a Sunday service, was the space where people tended to mix and to meet. That's, I think, what we were really picking up in the data. But I think, for me, there is something, and, and I can't speak from an atheist point of view or from a Hindu point of view, or from a, I can only speak from a Christian point of view, really, because that's, my, that's where I come from. Mm. I think, for me, as a Christian, there's something very powerful in the Bible about the respect and attention for the for someone who's someone who's different, the other. There's some brilliant writing by St Paul about the idea that as a Christian we believe there is no longer Jew and Gentile, and there's no longer slave and free. So the idea that actually we are brought together, we have a sense of unity, despite the fact we are different. Mm. And there are great traditions of the humanist tradition in some that would echo the same point, but I just speak from my own tradition. This is fundamentally very powerful. And I think that someone coming into a church should be hearing that message, Mm. both in what is spoken, but also what is practised. And I think you see that through churches being very interested in food banks, being very interested in how do we how do we serve our community and how do we reach those who are isolated from community? And so I think that is something very fundamental to the DNA of Jesus' teaching that is 
we are not different mm. from those who have less or those who are different from us. We are fundamentally the same. Do you have any sense of whether this has it's got better or worse over the years? Has the church played uh, a more or less significant part in social integration now than uh, a couple of decades ago? The answer is I don't really know. And we, there is a real lack of data about what's happening in society generally, about whether we're getting more or less integrated. No one seems to have actually properly tracked this. We know whether people live in the same areas, more or less, but we haven't really tracked how much people talk with each other. What we do know is there are moments when clearly the church spurts into action with an interest in, in bringing, particularly historically it's been the rich and the poor, because UK historically has been pretty monoethnic, but bringing the rich and the poor together. There's a real history around the settlements movement, which was basically a historic idea that those who have a lot should move and live in areas where those who have less are. And again, at the root of that wasn't a desire, predominantly as I read it, to really help change the lives of those who have less. Though that was obviously important, but it was more to live with people who were different and who mm. had less. And I think that has been a constant sort of undercurrent, sort of coming and going. I, I think that as churches become less part of our life, what is true is that church obviously plays less of a role in bringing people together. And therefore, we need to really redouble our efforts to make sure we're not sinking into our own little comfort zones, especially because we don't tend to now go to our local church. We tend to choose which church we're going to go to. And it's quite easy to choose the church that's full of people just like us. And, you know, the church I attend is actually a place I would defend to the hilt as a fantastic place to be part of. But obviously, like any church based in a local area, has a certain dynamic of people and we continue a striving to try and get a mix and I think that is something that we've got to grapple with. You mentioned food banks, faith schools are also another thing we've seen in recent years. Are they part of the solution to social integration or part of the problem? There's a bit here where I'm really speaking on behalf of the challenge and there's a bit where I'm more sort of voicing a personal view. I I think that... that what the challenge would say, which I agree with, is that we need to be a little careful with regard to faith-based admissions. So I just would make a distinction between a school that is based on principles of faith that says to people, look, we a lot of our teachers here are inspired by the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Buddha, the teaching of whoever it might be. And actually, that is a driver to us to do a brilliant job here. And we are going to help reflect on character and personality by reflecting on the depth and wisdom of the teaching. I think that is actually a fundamentally positive thing. And while we live in a society that where people, different taxpayers, want different things, and as a Christian I value having teachers who are passionate about Jesus. And so I think that's great. Friends of mine who are Muslims I hope would feel the same about having teachers inspired by Muhammad. I think that is that is a fundamentally good thing and something that's good for society. Now that's more of a personal view there. But what the challenge would say is but when it comes to schools accepting people on, should you come to school because you're a Christian or not? And, oh, no, you can come because you're a Muslim, but you can't come because you're a Hindu. I think we'd say that seems like a bit of, an, a, bit of a sort of dangerous path to head down because the evidence, unsurprisingly, is that schools that have heavy faith-based admissions tend to become more dominated by one faith. Yeah. Um, and there are schools in our country and we can look at the history here of obviously what's gone on in Northern Ireland, what has happened in Glasgow, where effectively people can grow up in parallel lives. We have a growing Muslim population, mm. growing Jewish population, and 
as alongside obviously Christian, Hindu, Sikh, etc. We've just got to be a bit careful, I think, that we don't end up with schools where we have Muslim kids in one schools and Christian kids in another school. But we can have that, and we do have that in schools that have absolutely nothing to do with faith and are not faith schools. I wouldn't want to suggest I'm putting faith schools on the naughty mat and everyone else is fine. But we just have to be quite careful of faith-based admissions. You spoke at the start about how your work was inspired by your faith, and I wondered how practically your faith helps your work. I think trying to follow Jesus gives you three things that for me helped me in my work. One is it gives you a sense of purpose. You know, I do fundamentally believe that I, I and all of us are called to try and build a society where, which, which involves everybody. And so I have this sense of, actually, I've got, there's a purpose to what I'm trying to do. So in, on a very bleak Monday morning, there's a sense of purpose. I think secondly is there's a sense of hope. Because you can have a purpose but think, oh, I've got enough. That's what I'm meant to be doing, but I've got no chance of it ever coming off. I think that trying to follow Jesus is a sense of following someone who says, look, I really, the world can be better. And we're going to, over time, make it better. Maybe not today, maybe tomorrow, maybe, you know, in an afterlife. But, you know, things can be made better. I think that the third is a sense of humility, which, which I would probably say is, but you yourself are not going to by yourself make it better and it's not on you. And I think that's incredibly sort of freeing, actually. So I think you can come together with a sense of, I have a purpose, I have a hope, but I don't feel the total unadulterated pressure of if something goes horribly wrong, I am awful and I failed. And I think that is a rather sort of freeing way of being able to look at the world. And I think it does drive you on. And is your faith something that is internally driving you on? Or does it spill over? How does it manifest itself externally? Those values I'm talking about, about purpose and hope and humility, I would hope come across to people when they're working with me. And this sense of, look, come on, this is good enough, we can make it better. But I understand I've made mistakes before. Generally is something that people would experience when, when, when interacting, when we're talking about stuff. And I'm not sure I would quite be that person without my faith. I think I'd be quite a driven person but I don't think I'd have the sense of humility with it. And I'm sure I could be much, much, much more humble, <laughs> but I think I'd be even worse than I am now. I, th- I mean, I, I, the thing is, working for a charity that, that believes fun- very importantly in the value of difference gives me a heck of a lot of space to actually say, and this is the way I am different. One of the people I was in a meeting with today is a practising Muslim, and we were chatting and, you know, I was curious about something. We were chatting away about Eid and a couple of things. And I was chatting away about Easter and a couple of things. It's not some amazing conversation or anything. But there is, I think, a freedom in working for a charity that is actually saying that different people who are different should get on and be themselves. And actually it means that as a Christian I can say, oh, this is the thing I believe. And I think that does naturally bubble out um, because I should be celebrating difference. Have you found yourself mixing with a wider variety of people as a result of the mission of the challenge? I, I find I think about it a lot more, and I find I notice. I, I mean, a very small example. A lot of times you've got a chance to meet people who are different from many of us as parents is through schooling. And I find myself much more conscious of thinking in a way I probably wouldn't have done before I started thinking about this issue. I was on potentially recently, and I picked the kids up a lot. Who do I actually talk to at the school gate? Who do I naturally gravitate towards? And often what goes on in your mind is you don't want to interrupt someone who might wonder, why have you, why are you talking to me? <laughs> you know, often we don't talk to people who are different, not because we don't like them, 
but because we don't want to make them feel awkward. And so I, I found myself being a little bit more prepared to say, actually, it's okay to feel awkward. I'm going to say hello to this person. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to introduce myself to this person. And maybe that doesn't sound terribly revolutionary, does it? But I, I'm prepared to make myself feel a bit more awkward. But maybe it's a kind of very British revolution. And I think generally I'm not a revolutionary. I don't really want to radically transform the world. I would like there to be a few more spaces. And so if we work, I'm trying to create them. I'd like people to take the opportunity when they're in them to say hello to people who are a bit different. And I think I am trying to be a little bit more prepared to feel awkward. And I'm trying to create a few more spaces. So I wouldn't say my life has been revolutionised, but I would say I'm kind of playing my part in that rather British revolution that we need to bring about. John Yates, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.